Well, greetings, everybody out there. I'm like, I showed up. Uh, I showed up on screen before. Even when Brian is is not here, I seem to show up before I expect to. So, how are you guys all doing this morning? This is not Shine. This is Shane. I don't know if you guys had a chance to go over and watch those videos yet, but um, Brian really uh, has outdone himself the AI. So, good morning. Welcome to Popcast Palantir. Um, if you guys don't know the name, it is from the Lord of the Rings and, uh, the Palantiri, also known as the seven stones or the seven seeing stones were spherical stone objects used for communication and intelligence gathering, of course, in, in the Lord of the Rings. And although I will not try to snare you like the dark Lord Sauron did to Saruman. Hope you guys are all doing good today. Uh, we got some interesting stuff to talk about. Um, this is the first time in seven years uh, Brian and I have always done them together. Brian's done a couple of shows by himself, but because everything is is usually ran from the studio uh, where he's at, I've never had the need to ever do anything alone. And so when we started using StreamYards for our Monday Raw Rant shows, all of a sudden the idea that I could actually do this by myself from my own location came up and we started talking about doing a show. Brian's going to be doing a show on Sundays. It's going to be a, a DC-centric show. And then I'm going to be doing this show on Fridays. And of course, as the Palantir would suggest, uh, it's communication from long distances. So we're going to be talking back and forth to each other and hopefully provide you with some fun information on, uh, on a Friday. So just to give you guys a little bit of background, um, it's, uh, it's very interesting. So uh, why, why this YouTube journey? Why are we here doing this? And um, it's, I've actually have quite a bit of experience and Brian and I don't usually talk about this kind of thing, but what you guys don't know about me is I'm actually a writer. So I spent a little over 20 years as part of the military industrial complex. I wrote more than a thousand stories uh, as a Navy journalist. I published more than 500 newspapers. I was a radio disc jockey for the Armed Forces Network. I don't know if you guys ever saw um, uh, Good Morning Vietnam. So with Adrian Cronauer, I actually went to school, the same journalist school that he went to. Um, I produced more than 250 television news programs during my time in the Navy. I spent a little over I guess, 21 years or so as part of the military. I was boots on ground in uh, Fallujah, Iraq in 2007 and Afghanistan in 2009. Uh, I've stood on six of the seven continents, and I've seen most of what the world has to offer. So I feel like I'm kind of in a unique position, I have a unique perspective of the world, um, and as time goes by and we see things, and, and so being on YouTube and being able to talk to you guys about things going on is good. So today, based on my experience as a writer, we're going to be talking about um, the writer's rooms in Hollywood and kind of what's going on there. There's a couple of news articles that came out um, about the writers rooms and why they might be having some inexperience and so we're gonna tap into that uh, but first since this is the first episode we're going to go ahead and uh, and show you a couple things here so just to show you that I'm not crazy I'm still learning how to work the the boards here so let me see if I can figure out how to do this okay yeah so this is uh, I'm just gonna show you some quick home pictures this is me in my in the Navy so uh, this is when I was stationed on the USS Ronald Reagan. And uh, let's see. Now I don't know how to. That's uh, not, uh, not it. Anyways, let's see if I can figure this out. 
All right. That did not work. It worked before, but it's not working now. There we go. So this is me uh, in Iraq, actually with a with my Humvee uh, that we used to drive around and do crazy stuff with. While I was there, they actually got these really cool um, IED, you know, anti-explosive jerves, they were called. And they're the cool looking ones you see now in all the movies. But before that happened, all we had was the old Humvees that we've been using all the way back since Vietnam. This is me in Hong Kong. That's Bruce, Bruce Lee back there. And um, I decided to pose a picture, so I'll share that. This is me on board the USS Ronald Reagan. I was the uh, media chief on board that ship. Had about uh, had a crew of about 40 people working for me. And uh, it was like a little city. This is me on the boards doing this stuff, fun. I was actually, we did a TV show. So over on the other side, if you look through the windows there, you can't really see really well, but we used to do a TV show every day on board the ship. So. I don't know why I can't get any more pictures, but that's going to be the end of that. All right, back to me. I got a really fun, actually funny story when I was in the military. One of the things that we used to do is uh, we used to take around. We had uh, um, we used to see a lot of the celebrities. Um, they would come on board the ships. You know, they wanted to be involved in the in the media and involved with the military. So guys like Gary Sinise, you know. Um, we had Tom Selleck, you know, Metallica, all kinds of really interesting people. But this one time on the ship, I had, uh, you know, Goldberg, the wrestler. I don't know if you guys, I don't have a picture. I have a picture with him somewhere, but I couldn't find it. But uh, he actually came on board. I don't know if you remember, they, they, they remade the movie um, The Longest Yard with Adam Sandler. And he was in this movie and he came out to the ship to actually show it to everybody. And um, so he came out, he was just supposed to come out for the day. He flew out to the ship. He was going to fly right back and go to the premiere of the movie. And he had like the only DVD that the movie was on. It was going to be released at the theater. He had like the only one. He brought it out to the ship. And so we sat there and watched the movie. It was he and, he and I, and we played it for the whole ship. And when it was over, we found out that flight ops had been canceled. He could not leave the ship to get back to the premiere. And Goldberg, you know, he's a huge man. I mean, just, just a monster of, an, of, of a man. And he was so angry, so upset that he couldn't get back to be at the premiere. He, he said, hey, I need a weight room. Just find, can you take me to the weight room? And I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. And so I took him down to the weight room. And this guy just lost it, like threw weights all over the weight room, just totally lost his cool all by himself in there. Really funny story. But um, anyways, got lots of stories like that, but that is not what we're here to share with you guys. How you doing? We got a super chat from Rebecca Spade. Thank you so much, Rebecca for the super chat it says oh a morning show is this every friday what's the theme so many questions yeah so i'm probably going to make a whole bunch of mistakes here uh for this first morning rebecca um the plan will be for every friday let's see how it goes <laughs> let's see if anything actually interesting happens and uh the theme is basically um you know we we do have our thursday show where we're covering um different things going on. So it, it's, it's kind of heavy Star Trek related um, and kind of whatever big news. Yesterday we covered um, some Star Trek legacy stuff. We covered Indiana Jones. And um, and so, but we don't always get to cover all of the interesting things that happened during the week. So like, what's the news that broke um, this morning? So maybe you guys don't all follow Twitter, but it looks like, you know, Elon Musk is going to have a new, um, 
he's being replaced as CEO of Twitter. So that was kind of interesting news. Um, we have all kinds of, of interesting stuff to talk about. We've got um, some problem. Elizabeth Olsen confirmed that fan speculation about uh, the multiverse of madness writers. She basically, uh, and we'll go through the article, but essentially she admitted that the people who wrote uh, the, the movie didn't watch the series and really had no idea what they were talking about. So, yeah, so we're going to talk about all kinds of interesting things today. How are you guys all doing out there? Looks like you're doing good. Yes, William King. Seriously, Shane, thanks for your service. Yeah, hey, I appreciate that. Um, it's been a whole different world. Like, um, I did all those years in the military and, you know, basically dedicated my life to just, you know, being gone, deployed for, for a long time. And then when the military time was over, um, I had to make this transition. And that's actually when Brian ended up, uh, he, he and I ended up working together, was, um, was right after that. And so this whole YouTube thing is kind of uh, espouted from there. Um, so, but before we get into uh, the writers, I wanted to show you guys, I saw this really funny um, video. I was watching, I don't know if you guys saw this, the, the, the Donald Trump um town hall thing he did on CNN that was I mean if you've seen Donald Trump's and look, we're not talking politics here so it's but it is part of what's happening in our in our world um and if if you think it's hilarious the media is such the media is such a shit show you got to understand like like when I went through journalism school like the lesson was you know that you're there just to report the news you're not there to make the news you know, there's an element to to Navy journalism where you're a little bit of a you're a little bit of a um, of a public information specialist. You are there to make the Navy look good. So, you know, it is true. Every news agency has some sort of agenda. Right. But um, but the whole point is that you're not supposed to have an agenda as the news. You're just supposed to report the news. So I thought it was funny. There's this clip after. And this is not from the actual thing. If you got a chance to you got to go see like the uh, Donald Trump and this this um, reporter for CNN. I mean, it's obvious that she's she's there just to beat him up. Like that's like the whole goal. And there's a bunch of articles about how they were very angry afterwards that that um, that he was able to say some of the things freely that he said. But I thought this comment here from one of these people, and I'm gonna see if I can share it here. I have no idea if I'm allowed to even do this or not, but uh, let's see if. Let's see if I can do this. Okay, just listen to this really quick. This is hilarious. Oh, there's no audio, huh? Well, Brian, you didn't teach me the secret of doing that one. The audio is supposed to go through. Well, all right. Well, if we can't, if you guys can't hear it, let me know if you can't hear that. Ah, I'm sorry, guys. Okay. I'll have to ask Brian how to do that. But essentially what happens is you got this reporter here. I'll just break it down for you real quick since I can't do the audio. This guy is basically saying, hey, isn't it, uh, isn't it terrible how Donald Trump won't stop talking? Need to switch to browser for share audio bro i don't know oh i gotta switch to browser okay hold on guys let me try i apologize this is a work in progress let's 
<laughs> Let's see. Uh, okay. Come back to me. I'll get better at this, I promise. Um, okay, share. Chrome tab. Yeah. Okay, can you guys hear this? That's truth teller. That's the way he's always been when he was a businessman, when he's been a politician. He has lied about the 2020 election. Think the same thing about him as you did. Can you guys hear that? So all of you feel that way. First thing I want to ask you about, Donald Trump, we have to be blunt about it, is not a truth teller. That's the way he's always been when he was a businessman. Yes, okay. And if you think the same thing about him as you Okay, here we go, here we go. So all of you feel that Okay, so let's listen to this real quick and then I'll share with you. Trump. We have to be blunt about it. Is not a truth teller. That's the way he's always been when he was a businessman. He's been a politician. He has lied about the 2020 election. Stuffed ballot boxes. It's all made up. He's lost dozens of court cases. Does it bother you that he keeps talking about 2020 and not 2024? I'll ask you first. This is Jonathan Leslie. He's 40, Republican, voted for Trump twice. How do you feel about those lies? So I feel like part of it's also the media narrative, as you guys asked him the first question at the town hall about the 2020 election, rather than current <laughs> stuff. Don't you think he could say it's time for me to start talking about 2024 and not lies that aren't true? Couldn't the media ask him a question about 2024? Well, there were questions, but you're right. That was the first thing, but that's something that was on our mind. And that's why I was asked first. Mike McLaughlin. So this is so great, guys. So he says, he's basically trying to set it up. I mean, it's obvious that like, look, I don't care what side of the political spectrum you're on, what, who you like or who you don't like, but all I can tell you is the media is the bad guy. Like CNN, Fox, all of them, they're just the bad guy. So what's funny here is this guy's like, he thinks he's gonna like get a comment about how, you know, Donald Trump's always lying. And that's, that's obviously, if you go and watch CNN, it's all lie, lie, lie. He's lying, lying, lying. So you got this guy here who's kind of sheep, sheepishly sitting in the corner. And he's like, um, you know, don't you think that uh, that, you know, he should just move on and stop talking about 2020? And the guy goes, well, uh, you guys asked him about 2020. <laughs> and so the, it totally caught the the news, the, the, the reporter off his guard there. And you can see him kind of. And that's just kind of a highlight of what is wrong with the media in general. Um, it's it's pretty wild that. um it's pretty wild that they can just, you know, create any narrative that they want. And then, you know, it just takes like a few regular people. It's really just common sense. A few regular people just, just saying what's on their mind and being honest about it. And, uh, and of course, he moved topics right away. So, uh, and on that narrative, um, the media controlling stuff, I just wanted to show you that real quick. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But first, we do have some interesting Star Trek news that I want to share with you. This came out after our show yesterday. Let me see if I can... Uh, share this properly. I'm going to get good at this. I'm telling you guys, I'm going to get good at this. We've got... Share this screen. Share. Okay, there we go. All right, as you can see, Star Trek Picard beams into streaming top 10 ranking again. This is huge news. If you're a Star Trek Legacy fan, guys, this is this is huge news. Um, this is the only time that, that, uh, Paramount plus streaming has had one show break the top 10 ranking into Nielsen streaming twice. Okay. And we'll go through here and show it as you can see here in this little screen, I can't really make it bigger, but, um, Paramount plus Star Trek Picard, uh, 
broke in at 10th place. And, um, and that's big because what that's telling you is that, um, is that this show is really being seen by a lot of eyeballs, which means that the studio has to recognize. I mean, think about it. They've got um, the Yellowstone. They've got all these shows, the, the old, the, all the Western stuff. It isn't even breaking in as, as many times in a row as Star Trek Picard season three did. So let's take a look here. It says, Star Trek Picard wrapped up three weeks ago, but the third and final season continues to make waves and makes it into the top 10 again. Picard on the list. For the second time, Star Trek Picard has made it to Nielsen's chart of the top 10 original streaming shows in the USA, specifically at the number 10 spot. Unlike their broadcast ratings, there is a bit of a delay of Nielsen's streaming ratings, so today they release charts for the weeks of April 10th through 16th which covers up through the ninth episode of Picard season three. Now, if you go back to the previous month, the rating showed right around the fourth episode. And that's kind of right when things were starting to get really hot and exciting about Picard. You can see the fan engagements like, oh, wait a sec, this show is different than the previous two seasons. So, um, yeah, so the fact that it broke into the ninth season, I'll be curious to see what the numbers look like after the tenth season, and and if they end up having a lot of rewatches. How many people actually came back to watch the show after it aired um, and came back again? Last month, Picard appeared for the first time on the Nielsen chart, ranking ninth in the week of episode five. Okay, so this episode it was after episode four. Picard is the only Paramount Plus original to make the chart twice since they added the streaming service rankings earlier this year. Uh, the Yellowstone prequel 1923 also made the charts once in March. Um, okay. And you got this tweet that came out from Star, uh, TrekMovie.com. Star Trek Picard got a little shout out from uh, Paramount Co. In their, in their Q1 financials press release, citing it as one of the drivers for 4.1 million new subscribers. Yeah, we talked about this yesterday. So the fact that we have, you know, so many new subscribers um, and we have so many new things happening as a result and because of Picard season three, this isn't happening for any other reason. And listen, you would have to be completely blind not to realize and not to recognize that Star Trek Picard season three is the reason why, that Terry Metalis is the reason why, and so the fact that he set up Star Trek Legacy, and, uh, and that's really the only place they have to go. So, of course, as we've talked about multiple times, they've put themselves into a bit of a corner, right? So they've got, uh, they've got of course, Strange New World Seasons 2 and 3 that are still going to come out. They've canceled Discovery, but they've announced this Starfleet Academy show and also the Section 31 movie. So what can they do? Like, they planned all this stuff way before um, Terry Metalis had this successful swing at Picard season three. They really didn't see this coming out of the corner. Now, despite the fact that we've been talking about it, guys, since November, December, we were saying, this is, this is great. This is going to be wonderful, you know, and they just weren't prepared for it. And, you know, it really shows uh, how, you know, Alex Kurtzman and the studio, they don't really, they aren't really looking to make changes. Like they aren't, prepared when something what happens when something's successful you know do you are you ready to make the adjustment and they just weren't ready to make this adjustment basically you know 
they're going to have to do something with Star Trek Legacy. It's just going to have to happen because you can't get this much love and not address it. So what are they going to do? Well, as we've been talking about here on the channel, for sure they're going to be doing, well, for sure, they haven't announced it, but behind the scenes, they're definitely working on doing something with Janeway, with Janeway's character. They want to do a Janeway 7 of 9. I mean, if you think about universes colliding and uh, and the world destroying, when you bring those two characters again together after after so many decades, it's it's going to create a big wave. You know, Star Trek fans are going to be excited about seeing that. And um, I know some people probably would like to see Legacy continue with Seven and the crew, but I do think you're going to get this Janeway thing first. And I think that if the Janeway thing is successful, because they're going to do it, you got to think about it. Janeway and Seven of Nine are both in the 25th century, so it's happening right now in this time frame. She's an admiral. Uh, Seven is the captain of the Enterprise G. So we know that they can go forward uh, with a little bit of a story there. So if they do that and they get even a little bit of the success that Picard Season 3 has done, then there's really no place for them to go except to create uh, a, some sort of a legacy show or you know, multiple series or a movie. They have to keep telling the story in the 25th century. So hopefully that's what ends up happening here soon. Um, you know, tell me what you guys think. Do you want to see, I mean, how ideally would you like to see them go forward? Like in the last scene of the, of episode 10, you've got seven on the, on the bridge. You've got Jack, you've got Rafi, you've got the bridge crew. Um, and they're, and they're getting ready to head out on a shakedown cruise. You know, do you want the series to pick up from there? Um, exploring where Q, you know, what Q has to do with Jack or, do you want to see, uh, you know, a sprinkle in some Janeway, take it into a different direction? Do you want to explore the galaxy with Seven and this crew, or do you want some more Starfleet stuff? I mean, personally, I would like to see Janeway in the series um, because I love Janeway. I'd like to see Janeway and Chakotay and, you know, give me, you know, Garrett Wang. And listen, I love Prodigy. You know, it's it was a fantastic show, but it is a cartoon. And... Um, and, and as good as cartoons can be, I really need uh, the live action stuff. I really do. So hopefully they figure out a way to um, to kind of give us this this uh, Star Trek legacy with Captain Seven going forward and sprinkle in some Janeway, uh, sprinkle in some of that and, and tell us that story. Yeah, I see Leo Kayser's uh, Seven's command phrase should be commence. Um, we were talking a lot yesterday about about uh, her command word. Isn't it interesting that Terry left that off? Like he kind of left it on the, on the cliffhanger and we didn't, we never got a chance to talk to him about it. We never asked him why he ended it that way. But I think it, he would have probably said, you know, it, it's, it's where Star Trek has gone lately. Like the captain catchphrase is, is like a critical part of what's, um, of what's, it was with each captain. So seven has to have a catchphrase. Um, and, and what is it going to be? So that was actually pretty fun. I think, uh, Brian liked, was Brian liked, uh, execute, right? Execute. And, um, and I liked, um, I can't remember which one it was. It was, uh, comply is what I liked, but somebody else came up with something better. I just can't remember what it was. Anyways, we'll have to see what happens with Star Trek Legacy. Um, and Star Trek in a whole. This writer's, um, this writer's 
um, strike is going to have profound effects. I mean, there's a chance that the that the writer strike could actually could actually screw up Starfleet Academy. I mean, I know they've got the ball rolling and all that stuff, but let's put it this way: if the strike continues for a prolonged period of time, and the numbers keep coming in. Uh, for Picard season three, at what point does the studio pull Alex Kurtzman in for a meeting and say, hey, are we doing the right thing here? Like, I know you want to do this, the Starfleet Academy show, but, you know, what do we need to do to make room to keep telling the story? At some point, somebody's going to have to have to say it. They're already spending a ton of money on on Strange New Worlds. Um, you know, they're, they're still doing Prodigy. They're still doing Lower Decks, which doesn't cost that much, you know, to do those shows. Um, so they're going to have to figure out how to make it work. And I think what's going to probably end up happening is all of these Star Trek shows are going to end up getting cheaper. I think they're probably going to slice the budgets. If they're not already doing it, they're going to cut back on the budgets. And they're going to be told, the showrunners are going to be told, you have to make the shows for cheaper. And I do believe that's what's going to happen. And in that case, if they can, if they can make the shows for cheaper, then you can create a new legacy series. I go back to um, to the IMAX video, and I don't know if you guys got a chance to see it. Uh, it was pulled down really quickly, so somebody actually, you know, shot at the at the IMAX when when Star Trek Picard did episodes nine and ten um, in IMAX. Uh, somebody videotaped it and they put it up on YouTube. And it was basically the interview with Terry and Alex and, and all the principal cast on the stage. And then they had this MC on there. And the MC said, um, you know, was, was going through asking them questions and they were answering it. And when they got towards the end, the MC, the MC said, well, hold on a second. This isn't the last we're going to see of Captain Seven. And he said it in a way that was really not like his hope but like he knew something was coming. Like he was certain that something was going to be happening. And he, it sounded like he was going to continue on. Like he'd had a conversation with somebody just before, and he was under the impression that it was okay to say something he was about to say. Like there was going to be an announcement of something happening with Seven of Nine. And it's at that moment that Terry, who's sitting next to Alex, interrupts him and says, oh, uh, hold on, uh, I want to thank one more person. And when you watch it, it's very obvious that he's interrupting him. Now, my question to you is this. Why is Terry interrupting him with Alex sitting right next to him? If nothing is supposed to be said, right? If this guy's not supposed to make an announcement about an upcoming Seven of Nine thing, um, you know, then why, if Terry's not doing any more Star Trek, is he stopping him from speaking? That's really the question. So why isn't Alex saying, you know, going, oh, hey, hold up, uh, let's, uh, let's move on, let's do something else. No, it was Terry. And the reason why I think it's Terry, and I don't know this for, for certain, um, but I do have a strong feeling that at some point, uh, you know, probably around episode seven, eight, when they're getting ready to do the IMAX, at some point, he and Alex probably had a conversation. Um, and it was something to the effect of, you know, just hang on, we'll figure something out. Because um, Terry wants to continue making Star Trek. It's his first love. Um, he's really good at it and he wants to keep doing it. And if you look at all of the glowing words that Kurtzman had for Terry, you know, talking about how he knows Star Trek, like the back of his hand. I mean, he gave him so much praise and credibility talking about what a Star Trek expert he is during his interviews at the IMAX. 
it's just a totally different tone than he's used before with him. So that means something's happening in the background. I just believe it. I mean, if I had to bet a check on it, if I had to bet a, maybe a pinky, you know, I wouldn't bet my thumb or my, my pointing finger, but maybe a pinky. Okay. I am pretty confident in that. So, um, yeah, not used to talking this long. Archmage Frey, Sidetrek put out a theory that they always intended a legacy type show, but they did not announce it because they want to act like the good guys after all. Yeah. Um, I like Sidetrek. He's probably going to watch this, but uh, here's the, here's the thing about, uh, about Sidetrek and the information he puts out. Sidetrek gets all of his information from uh, people who contact him saying that they're somebody from like a marketing company that sidesteps or, or people that are insiders. Now there, there, we've probably explained this before. There's tons of insiders, um, in Hollywood who, who will reach out to YouTubers and talk to them. And I do know that he's had a couple of interesting sources, but, uh, he also gets fed, I think, a lot of information that's not correct. And uh, and this is one of those pieces of information. They they never intended to put out a legacy type show. There was absolutely zero intention to do that. Um, and I don't know who's telling him that, but that's not correct information. Uh, from the time that, that we were able to watch the show back in November, um, going into December, uh, they were 100% full steam ahead on Starfleet Academy um, and, and all the projects they're doing now. There was no plan to do anything after Picard. In fact, they were wiping their hands with it. We're done. Um, when Prodigy came out, they did talk about doing a, a Janeway uh, limited series. Um, but that was not a legacy show. So, yeah. Oh, it's just a theory. Okay. So, gotcha. He had, I got it. He said it was just a theory. Yeah, theory is, yeah, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and just, it wasn't, yeah, not true. So even as a theory, that's not what happened. But, um, and this, it's not always that we actually have 100%, you know, correct information on things. But in this, in this one case limited, I can say with 100% certainty that that was, that was never the case. Um, yeah. What can we talk about now? Let's talk about what, so what happens in these, uh, so what happens, <laughs> what happens, mm, what can I share? What happens if they do a new show? Now, if they do it with Terry, right? If they do a new legacy show with Terry, then no problem. Like he's got it on lockdown. He knows how to show run. Uh, he knows how to write. He knows how to do that. But what if they don't choose him? Um, Let's say they choose uh, a new showrunner to do something different, okay? Or even let's talk about what they're doing for Starfleet Academy with, with Noga. We've got this new person coming in. We're having a huge problem in Hollywood right now with the writers' rooms. And there was an article that came out. Let's see if I can present it. Oh, dang, it worked. Look at that. All right. Elizabeth Olsen confirms... Span speculation, span fan, oh, fan speculation about multiverse of madness writers. So it looks like uh, Elizabeth Olsen confirms that uh, what many fans have suspected regarding the character arc for her character in Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. 
WandaVision star Elizabeth Olsen confirmed fan speculation that the writers of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness didn't know how her character's arc concluded in the Disney Plus series. During a chat with Vanity Fair, Olsen admits that her character's journey in WandaVision is the same as in uh, Multiverse of Madness. Because writer Michael Waldron and director Sam Raimi weren't able to see the limited series as it wasn't completed yet. It's a similar arc in Multiverse of Madness that it is in WandaVision, Olsen said. There could be pa parallel stories being told there of dealing with grief and loss. Well, I propose to the writers who wrote Multiverse of Madness, <clears throat> I said, do you know what we're doing in WandaVision? Have you seen it? And no, they hadn't seen it because it wasn't finished yet. Both projects have Wanda dealing with grief and loss in destructive ways, prompting her to abuse her powers. After losing Vision in Avengers Infinity War, Wanda creates an idyllic but fake, uh, but fake suburban life in Westview, New Jersey, that keeps her partner alive and allows them to build a family. The world in WandaVision eventually crumbles and Wanda has, come, has to come to terms with her loss and accept what she created wasn't real to begin with. In Multiverse of Madness, despite following the events of WandaVision, Wanda is still processing grief in an unhealthy way and tries to use America Chavez, a teenager capable of traveling the multiverse, to reunite with the children she created during her time in Westview. Anyways, um, yeah. So the point here is that, let me go back to this. So the point here is that, once again, um, multiple projects were being created and people who were expected to tell a story uh, for one project based on another weren't able to do it because the other project wasn't even complete yet. You know, the streaming wars are, are over. Like, it's, it's happened. Like, we, they've flattened out. All of the streaming services have kind of flattened out. Everybody who's, who's, who's come to streaming is coming to streaming. And all the tons of money they've put out trying to create as much content as possible is probably slowing down and coming to an end. You're going to see the studios and the streaming services tighten their budgets, uh, slow down on the product, uh, projects they're putting out. But this is one, uh, one good example of when things are being done too quickly. So if the people who are writing the movie haven't seen the series because it hasn't come out yet, how can they be expected to follow the series with their story? So the same thing happened with, uh, with Star Wars. So during episode seven, you had J.J. Abrams making episode seven. He was out there, the script had been written, he was out there making the show. In the middle of episode seven being produced, okay, Ryan Johnson was told to sit down and write episode eight, okay? So Ryan Johnson sat down and wrote episode eight without knowing how episode seven was going to end. I want you to think about that for a second. He had to write episode eight without knowing how episode seven was going to end. Now, him and JJ were talking to some degree, right? But when Ryan Johnson took this information to Kathleen Kennedy and said, you know, hey, uh, you know, we're kind of struggling with how to, you know, connect the two things. Kathleen Kennedy told him, you're an artist. This is your movie. You make it the way you see fit making it so that's her her and listen as a producer for years that's not a bad you know listen you want your 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 
your artist or the person who's making your movie to have their vision be creative and to, and to feel like they own it because they're going to create a better product when that happens. But when you're creating a series of movies that all are all connected to each other, it's incredibly important that they all make sense. So just like here in, in uh, multiverse of madness, where the writers had no idea what was going on with the series and their movie was a continuation of the series. Now one could argue you go back. It wasn't that big of a deal. Like when you watch multiverse of madness. Okay. Like it was an okay movie. It was, it was pretty good and nobody cares. Like if you go back, nobody said, Oh my God, they just got that so wrong. So in that case, they got lucky. This is just like an indication. This is like a, a, a confirmation for us that this happens in Hollywood all the time. And then I can just use kind of the big example with J.J. Abrams and Ryan Johnson on Star Wars. You know, previously, the Star Wars movies had been put out years apart. You know, you made one and then you had time to make the next one. And granted, you had George Lucas overseeing everything at that time. So let me ask you this question. If J.J. is making episode seven and Ryan Johnson is making episode eight, and he's like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to own this. I'm going to make it. I'm going to write it how I want to write it. And he ends up writing it. And then it doesn't match up with what JJ's doing. You know, at what point is he supposed to change his story to fit the way JJ has ended his? Ideally, that's what you should do, but that's not the way Hollywood works. So you end up, what do you end up doing? You end up disappointing the fans. And that's what ended up happening. So the real problem, you know, not to, dig way back into Star Wars and all that stuff again. It's just people are not communicating with each other. People are not on the same page. It's more important for Hollywood to get the product out quickly, more product, faster, get it in front of the fans so we can make more money than it is to actually spend time making sure they're creating a really good product that people can, can enjoy and that uh, fans will be proud of. So hopefully when we go back into Star Trek, um, hopefully kind of this, this flowing of money will actually slow down the process of creating some of these series and give them time to make sure that they're getting things right. Because as of right now, we're not really necessarily getting things right. Okay. How are you guys doing out there? So how am I doing for the first show by myself? I'm not used to talking this much. Let's see, win some hacks. You're going to see Titan budgets, but then TV movies really don't cost that much to make. Seriously, they scam off all the money in production. They can't pretend anymore. Yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. Um, where does all the money go? Um, I, you know, a lot of times when, when somebody's making a movie, and I think you mentioned here specifically TVs, yeah, TVs, movies don't cost that much. So... A lot of times the budget for a, a movie, so let's say, uh, what's one of the ones that came out recently? Um, uh, let's just say Dune, right? So Dune comes out and, um, and let's say it has a, a budget of $300 million, right? Um, well, part of the budget for a movie is not just in the creation of the movie, but it's also in the coverage of the entire studio. So it's all the people doing the administrative background work and the day-to-day -day running of the studio as well. All that gets factored into the cost of these movies. So you have this, uh, this situation where there is this inflation of how much a movie costs. 
And, you know, think about the fact that they talk about, well, a lot of times the budget is doubled just because of marketing. Can you imagine putting $300 million into a marketing budget? You know, so then you end up needing to make $700 million in order to break even on the movie. So I think there is a lot of that going on as well. Okay, Chappie says, Shine would be doing better. <laughs> but overall, no complaints, Shane. Thanks, Chappie. I appreciate that. Shine, uh, yeah, we're going to see. <clears throat> Eventually, Brian's going to get it so he doesn't need me anymore. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what that's all about. Let's see. Archmage Free. I think Star Trek is best with a moderate budget, enough to build great sets and some effects, but no need to throw billions of space battles in every episode. Ah, really good point. I mean, some of the best Star Trek we've ever seen. TOS had, uh, you know, fake rocks um, and fake sets. And you know what? We were fine. The, the, the secret is, if the story is like really, really good and really interesting, then it doesn't matter. It really, it really doesn't matter at all uh, how much, what it looks like. Now, Brian will tell you differently. He'll tell you that it has to, you know, look really great. But for me, it's easy to just kind of get immersed and lost into the story as opposed to um, needing a bunch of visual effects. Go back to Discovery Season 1. I mean, the one thing you can say is even if it wasn't great Star Trek, it was very, it looked great. Like the visual effects were wonderful. I mean, you could tell they put, you know, a ton of movie um, or a ton of money into the into the show, you know, Um but, you know, it was, obviously it was a mistake because they spent too much money and now Discovery has been canceled. So let's see what else we got here. <clears throat> Archmage. Some of the greatest Trek episodes were cost. Oh, you know what? I can do this. This is cool. There we go. Some of the Archmage phrase. Some of the greatest Trek episodes were cost saving character studies. Things we won't ever get. An eight episode of Serialized. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> really great point there, Archmage. So one of the problems is when you're doing eight to ten episodes, I mean, there's only so much you can do. You know, the great thing about Star Trek and, and you know, you're getting 24, 26 episodes in a season was that you could, you know, you could manage your costs throughout an entire season. Like, okay, we're going to do, you know, a couple episodes that are going to be super cheap. Or we're going to, you know, we're going to go all out on the on the uh, on the cliffhanger finale, you know. And they could figure out how to budget in a season better. Now it's, you know, you, you go back to you know Game of Thrones and some of these like ten million an episode, boom, 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 you know. Or even Rings of Power, you know, they talked about Rings of Power costing a billion dollars, right? So that billion dollars is over five years, um, and initially like your first season is going to cost more because you're like setting up you're you're spending a lot of the money in the beginning so you might be able to save it so instead of now you know spending money over a season i think they're probably going to be looking at okay here's the budget for you know we're going to do three three to five seasons of this show you know here's the budget you know the first season is going to cost a little more but maybe we can save money in the second season or the third season you're probably going to see more um, you know, more of that happening. Yeah. Cause right now you're right. Yeah. It's basically a glorified miniseries. Um, and it's not enough. I mean, I'm okay with getting 50, like, like Paramount's goal was 50 episodes of new Star Trek every year. I mean, think that's great. You know, 50 episodes of 52 weeks, 
So all but two weeks a year, you're going to get new Star Trek, right? That's that's fine. That's awesome. Like, can you imagine? We didn't. We never got fifty of fifty-two weeks of Star Trek even back in the day. You know. So you know the trick is 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 all fifty weeks going to be good, right? And so far it hasn't been. That's kind of been the issue. Now, arguably, we have gotten more Star Trek recently than we have gotten in the past. Um, at least on a more consistent basis, but I would argue they got to keep making good stuff. Uh, yeah. Inner light. Okay. Inner light. They just threw Picard in some standing set from a lot and hired a few guest stars. <laughs> Archmage. Yeah. Uh, inner light. Well, yeah. Inner light. Uh, when he went off to that, the planet that, uh, that was dying, right. And he was trying to figure out how to save it. I mean, what were those? Those were, a few internal offices that they had to dress up as some alien world. You're right. Like literally they use the set at the bridge of the, of the enterprise Picard, you know, goes under from the probe. They probably spent a little bit of money creating the probe. And then he spends the rest of the episode, you know, in the offices back lots, you know, um, there's probably a couple of artist renderings to give us that alien world. Those are, those are paintings or whatever, or, or graphic images, but yeah, it's, it's, just not very expensive. I mean, go back to the episode of uh, Enterprise, the shuttle pod episode, right? Where you got, you know, um, uh, Tucker and you've got uh, Malcolm basically in a shuttle craft for the entire episode. It's one of the best episodes of Star Trek Enterprise, um, but it cost almost nothing. So, yeah. What else do I want to talk about today? I had something else here for you guys, too that I wanted to talk about with the writer strike. Let me see if I can share this. Ah, man, I am getting so good at this. So great. Let me take a drink. I used to wait for Brian to talk before I took a drink. Now I'm sorry. All right. A little bit of caffeine. All right. Are you guys fans of Better Call Saul? Bob Odenkirk. I got to tell you. I absolutely love Bob Odenkirk. I, <laughs> for years, this guy uh, was acting out there. He's kind of like, he, he was definitely like a, like a Todd Stashwick. For years, Todd Stashwick was out there working and all of a sudden, boom, he becomes, you know, well, even from 12 Monkeys, I loved him too, but all of a sudden he, he joins Picard season three and he just becomes a superstar in my eyes. Bob Odenkirk did the same thing. Of course, he was on... Um, you know, he did, he did stuff his entire career and you probably wouldn't remember him. You can go back. I actually went up and looked his IMDb and he's in a bunch of shows that I had no idea he was even in. Um, and then when you go back and look, I'm like, oh yeah, that's Bob Odenkirk. Um, but, uh, of course it was a spinoff show of, um, uh, of the, what was the heck was the, I totally just drew a blank. Uh, it was, it was a spinoff show. Okay. And so, um, anyways, he's on the picket lines and it's funny because they had, uh, Mandy Patinkin. And of course, if you see Mandy here, um, he was in the princess bride and I, I'm sure like all of you guys, princess bride is just one of, is a classic movie that you love. And so they're on the picket lines for the strike. And it says you killed Riz, Riz, uh, you killed residuals prepared to die which of course is a play on his um, you killed my father 
my name is Ignicto Montoya. Prepare to die. You killed my father. Let's see. Yes, you killed my father. Prepare to die. And so these guys were out there on the strike lines. And what's interesting about it is uh, if you see what's going on here. That's it. Yes. Better Call Saul was the name of the show that he was on. And by the way, I still haven't seen the final season of Better Call Saul. I've been waiting for it to drop. I think it just dropped on Netflix. I waited a long time uh, for it to actually drop. Okay. So this story basically talks about um, the fact that the writers are creating this stuff and, um, and they're just not getting paid the residuals. But what I took from this article that I thought was really interesting was that and it actually came from another story because I'm not going to read this one. This is that was interesting because of those actors. But basically what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to start getting transparent about um, about their releasing numbers. The problem is and somebody made a really good point about this is that the writers won't ask for more than they're responsible for creating. So if they're creating good shows, then they want to get paid for creating good shows. But if they're not creating good shows, they're not going to throw a fit that they aren't getting paid enough. This is kind of what was put out. The problem is with the new streaming model, they're not sharing how much, how well show, shows are doing. Showrunners don't even know how well their shows are doing. So the writers don't know if what they're creating is, is bringing money into the studios or not. I mean, this writer strike is probably happening. I mean, because they do need to change, you know, the parameters and how they do it is one thing, but... The fact that the studios are keeping these numbers so close to their chest, you know, it it breeds for wild speculation. I mean, if you write something and it gets turned into something and all of a sudden you're like, you're hearing, wow, it's doing really well, but you didn't make any money for it, you know, then you're going to assume that you're getting screwed. You're getting the shaft. So what are you supposed to do? Well, you're going to complain. I'm not getting paid enough. So until these streaming services start sharing what, and listen, and it's not just them. We all want to know how well are these shows doing? Like, you know, we want to know how well the Orville season three did and whether or not you should be giving us a season four. Because the problem is, is that the streaming service model has upset everything. The The subscription model has screwed up everything. Okay, we the ad-based model was was it. You had to show advertisers that your program was getting a lot of eyeballs. You had to. That's how come people would buy ads. You know, you run around and all these car companies, different places. I want to be on that show. Obviously, a lot of people are seeing it, right? So when they when they have that hidden, they don't need advertisers anymore. They got the subscription model. They realized, well, we don't need to tell you what how many views are being seen anymore. We can hide it so that we can make our decisions when you're not going to judge us based on how, you know, what we decide. If we decide to cancel a show that's doing well because we're pissed off at that showrunner or we don't like that actor or, you know, we've got other plans or something else we want to do, we don't have to justify our position to you. We can just do whatever the hell we want. And that's kind of how they've been operating. So, but the problem is, is nobody knows what they're supposed to get paid. 
Nobody knows whether we're supposed to get another season of something. Nobody knows whether a show should be canceled. Like, you know, the studio can carry a show if they want to, but what if what if it's not getting any views? You know, imagine if we find out that Star Trek Discovery was getting, and this is a guess, I have no idea, because they won't tell us, was getting a quarter of the views that Picard Season 3 got. Imagine that. Imagine if if we knew that, that Discovery was only getting a fraction of the number of views, but the studio was so intent on pandering to a certain audience base that they've built their brand around the identity of Discovery that they didn't want people to know how many people were actually watching it because then that would open them up for criticism, right? That's where we're at. We're at, uh, you know, we're at hidden lies. We're, this is where we're at in the world right now. You know, nobody wants to tell the truth because they want to have control. They want to control their own agenda. They want to control their own product. That's fine. They're making billions of dollars. What did we figure out yesterday on the, on the stream? Brian was, was, was looking it up. $20 billion Disney Plus made last year. If you just just count up all the subscriber numbers, like you can do it. Like if they, they, they said they got this many subscribers, this is how much it costs. Well, this is how much money you made. And they, they may not even be being honest about that. So anyways, that's going to have to change in order for other things to change. What else we got? Let's chat a little more here with you guys. And then um, this probably will not be a long stream today since uh, I'm just starting out. Let's see what else we got. Um... Let's see, Winsome Hacks. Or better still, since streaming doesn't need expensive infrastructure like broadcast TV did, start their own service with their amazing writing. Who were you talking about? Well, whoever it is, they should definitely start, whoever's writing this stuff, they should definitely have amazing writing. Like if you're going to create a show, what do you need? Like you want to tell a great story obviously, right? That's the first thing you have. So you want to have a good writer's room. You want to tell a good story. I mean, you want to have interesting characters. So you're going to have to have decent actors, right? Let's start there. Let's not have an agenda. Let's not, let's not go into creating something where we said, well, you know, we need to have this message or we need to have this, uh, we need to tell, we, this needs to come before. The first thing that needs to come is a story and a really good idea. All right, what else we got here? Let's see what David Nunya has to say about individual freedoms. David Nunya, I believe in individual freedoms, not collectivism. I hate unions with a passion because they always get violent against people wanting to work and who choose to work and who they choose to work. Yeah, so no matter what side of the spectrum, I love individual freedom. I mean, that's what I'm all about. I was in the military, so of course... I'm about freedom. That's that's what I care about. I want everybody to be able to do whatever they want to do. That's kind of the dream. But the thing about um, working for the government, the one thing that they do have is they have something called collective bargaining agreements. And so they have basically, um, um, you know, they have little Gestapos inside the these organizations where they do as like a small union, have control of who gets hired and who doesn't. And here's the cool, here's the great thing about a union. It, yes, it will help you fight for wages, but guess what it also does? 
It keeps you from getting fired. Okay. This is the big thing about unions that people don't realize. Listen, unions offer protection, but when you're a dirtbag worker and you're not doing a good job because you're part of a union, they also can't fire you. So there's like two sides of the coin. Like unions are, are for job protection. They also, it's also a way for them to keep other people from getting hired to take your job. So, I mean, why can't we all just live on like a merit-based system? That's what I, that's what all I care. You do a good job. You get to keep working. If you don't do a good job, just because you've been there for 20 years, doesn't mean you get to stay there when you're sitting around with your thumb up your ass, right? That's, that's not fair. Right. You still got to you still got to keep going. I mean, now there's to some degree you've been there for a long time. You should have some flexibility. You should have some benefits. Right. So I'm I don't know how to feel about the unions. I've never been a part of a union. I've never had any job security other than I had a contract with the military to be around for a certain number of years. But a lot of those government civilians that are in that are in uh, that work for the military, they are in their own little unions. And uh, a lot of them just sit around and don't do shit all day, collect a paycheck. And uh, we wonder why our defense budget is so damn high. Saturn lights. All right, let's see here. At Popcast Unleashed, as a writer, when it comes to writing novels, in your opinion, what is too much exposition to you? Do you think introductions are a waste? Interesting. I, uh, my dream has been to write a novel. I've been <laughs> off and on doing it for years. When I was 12 years old, I, uh, I got the writing bug. I was in an English class. Uh, this is a long answer to your story, but I think this is interesting. Um, you know, I was 12 years old. I was in seventh grade. Right after the Challenger exploded, and our teachers had us do journal, journaling. Uh, journaling. You know, it was kind of at the beginning of, you know, they were worried about how we might feel about stuff. So my English class for the first five minutes of class had us journaling. And uh, so I didn't know what to write. You're supposed to write about your day or whatever, write about what's going on in your life. So I would sit there and I started writing, you know, whatever happened in my last class or whatever. And then all of a sudden I'm like, this is boring. So I'm going to go ahead and write. Um, I'm just going to write it like a fantasy, a story. And so I started writing about this kid from Chicago who, uh, who had to move to Arizona and uh, he didn't like it. He was, you know, lived with his mom and uh, he had to move to Arizona. So I started writing this thing and then the teacher went around and asked everybody, said, you know, if you wanted to share your work and I didn't want to share my work, nobody raised their hand. So she picked on me and said, you know, share your work. So I stood up and I read my little five minute entry and uh, whatever I had done in that little introduction was enough to capture uh, the students in my class because uh, the next day when the teacher uh, went around and asked who wanted to read their stuff, the student said, you know, let Shane read his. And I was like, oh crap, I, I guess I have to keep telling this story. And that actually got me interested in writing novels. Um, so when you're writing a novel, I think the introduction is, is ex extraordinarily important. Um, when you're setting up characters, and you're setting up, uh, it's a little bit difficult. If you watch, if you ever read Stephen King, he spends a lot of time setting up his characters at the beginning of his stories. So much the fact that you almost sometimes feel like you have to like force yourself to stay with him 
um, and they don't necessarily capture you right away. I think uh, even though he's one of the great writers, once you get through that introductory period where you've been introduced to the writers, then you, you can't put it down. Like, he's got you. So just like in writing for TV, it's really about the characters and the story. But as a novelist, I think you do have to pepper in enough intrigue and interest uh, when you're setting up your, your novel. Um, and exposition is important, but only, you know, describe what it is that you need to describe and then keep moving. There are some times that people can spend an entire paragraph describing a hill or a field or a flower and uh, and those are the people that you need to get in there and cut out, you know, do a, do another rewrite. So that's, that's my opinion on, on it. Definitely got to have a good, you got to set up your characters and have a good introduction, but if you, if you go too long, you could lose people and they don't continue writing. A lot of the novice writers, uh, I do get a lot of people who send me their, their stuff to read. And uh, one of the things that I note that, you know, if I pick up their book and I start reading, it, they can lose me in the first couple chapters if they spend too much time trying to build their universe before getting me into the universe properly. So that's like a, I think a novice writer problem and you just got to go back and make it more interesting your novel should start with something really cool and uh and interesting like right now i've been writing um a novel not a novel it's it's a novella it's called prim's epiphany and uh it's about the character the story opens up with the character um you know kind of disheveled and uh and not doing well um and is basically contemplating suicide so, um, and how they can, they can, they, they're going to kill themselves. So I feel like it started out interesting. I've probably captured, hopefully captured people's attention. Like, well, okay, why, why is this guy trying to kill himself? And that's when the story kind of takes off. Let's see. Good question though. <clears throat> hmm. I have not seen the three body problem yet or read the three body problem. Um, I've heard it mentioned several times, um, but I have not actually, you know, the, the one thing that, um, that is a bummer about, about society and about all of us, you know, all of the new technology, the YouTube videos and everything else that we love you guys being here watching our YouTube videos, but I have found less and less time to actually read. I, uh, I was a, a, a voracious reader for years and years and years. And now I feel like I'm relegated to audiobooks uh, when I'm on the road and I definitely don't get to do it as much. And I, I think that um, I'm not as good at my craft as I should be when I'm not reading. So I think it's important that, that you read. If you're a writer, you should read for sure. What else we got? Hmm. All right. Well, you guys have said lots of really great things here in the chat, and uh, I appreciate you guys hanging out here. We've been on a little over an hour, which is, uh, you know, for a first time out, I think that's probably the best, probably what we should do for today. And then hopefully uh, we'll figure out how to grow this. And, you know, if you guys like it, now here's the thing is I don't have to do this. I'm doing this because I thought it'd be fun to try it, a chance to give you more content. 
the reality is, is Brian, I, Brian and I can't be on together all the time. And so the reason why we have shows on Mondays and Thursdays are those are the times that we can really get together and do stuff. Um, so what we thought, well, look, you know, we really want to be able to provide more content. What are other times when we can do stuff? So I said, well, I do have time on Friday mornings that we could try to do something. And he has time on Sundays. So uh, so we'll see how this goes. We'll come back and try it again. Hopefully we'll have more information. Hopefully you guys had a good time. I have never talked this long without stopping, which is kind of interesting. But it's been fun. I actually really enjoyed it. So uh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Leo. Thanks for letting me know this is a great first episode. And... Um, and we'll do uh, we'll do this again. So, uh, just coming up to let you guys know tomorrow, Brian will be on the Salty Nerd podcast like he is every Saturday. Um, so that's fun. You can check him out there. And that's it. I think that's at ten a.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then on Monday, this Monday, this is going to be so great, guys. We've got Daniel Davis, Professor Moriarty from TNG from Picard season three. He's going to be on Raw Rant at two p.m. two p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Uh, we're going to have Mark from the Shuttlepod show, Robert Meyer Burnett, and we'll see who else shows up for that one. Uh, but that'll be on Monday. And then uh, next Thursday, of course, Brian and I'll be back. We appreciate all you guys' support and love. And uh, yeah, so we'll see you guys soon. Make sure you uh, hit the like for me and, uh, and we'll see you the next time around. All right. Love you guys. Take care.